Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, At Last. And one more play for the Georgia defense. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone, and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Long last. The Georgia Bulldogs have won their first national championship in more than four decades. We'll recap last night's game with Brian Jones, sports and entertainment reporter with PopCulture.com. So we'll have a big conversation about that. Also this hour from tax credits to Medicaid expansion, Danny Canso, a senior policy analyst from the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, talks about what bills the think tank hopes lawmakers will take up this legislative session. And we'll also hear from State Representative Greg Kennard. He's pushing a bill to increase mental health support for first responders. A lot of great conversations on tap, but first this, as you just heard on NPR. President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris will be in town today. The two are scheduled to arrive at Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport within the hour of this broadcast. And then they'll head to the Atlanta University Center around 3.30 to deliver remarks on voting rights. Now, it is expected that President Biden and Vice President Harris could announce their support for changing U.S. Senate rules regarding the filibuster in order to expand ballot protections. And also during the visit, the pair will lay a wreath at the graves of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King, as well as visit historic Ebenezer Baptist Church. Now, this also means expect some heavy traffic and street closures in certain parts of Atlanta today. And WABE News will have more during All Things Considered. Now, let's get back to UGA. Five weeks after their nearly undefeated season was disrupted, the Georgia Bulldogs earned not only redemption last night, but yes, they defeated Alabama 33-18, grabbed a college football national championship, Head coach Kirby Smart says, you know what? The team put in lots of hard work this season to come out on top. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for the Georgia people. I'm happy for the, the, the people that get this for so many years they've been without it. But I told the guys in the locker room, just take a picture of this. Because I think back to the 80 championship picture and seeing all those players and the Frank Rosses and the Herschel Walkers and all these people that have reached out and said things, our guys – have accomplished that, something special. And they, as they say, they've become legendary. And I want that for them. It's not for me. <laughs> and I know it's for the Georgia people and all that, but it's really for these guys who have given so much. And uh, I certainly appreciate what they've done. And speaking of one of, the, of one of the players who's given so much, how about UGA quarterback Stetson Bennett? Well, he credited the Dogs' strong defense. I mean, first of all, it was the defense who kept us in this, this game. You know, while we were – stumbling over our own feet the entire first half and then starting out in the second half. So, I mean, they won this game for us. Um, you know, we we, st- we executed a few drives. Um, we could have done so much better, you know, but we got the jo- job done whenever we needed to. And if you don't know Stetson Bennett's story, you should. A walk-on. Didn't get a lot of scholarship offers, but last night he delivered two critical touchdown passes in the last eight and a half minutes of the game to put UGA ahead for good. Also, a number of seniors elected to return to the Bulldogs this season instead of entering the NFL draft. Defensive lineman Jordan Davis was among them, but he says, guess what? I made the right decision. We had a vision of today, of what we wanted way back when we were making our decisions to come back. And, um, you know, we took a gamble and we – cashed out that's all I can say we took a gamble and cashed out and you know it was a big decision on the seniors part we wanted to lead this thing the right way we knew that we had something special growing and to see this and 
see the season come to fruition and see all of our goals and achieve everything that we wanted, um, you know, it makes it super special. And I wouldn't change my decision for anything. A great decision. And while there was a sellout crowd of more than 68,000 in Indianapolis, Indiana, back in Athens, UGA fans like Emma O'Connor and Alex Breckman, well, they were watching. I'm speechless. It's, I mean, we haven't won a championship since 1980, and I've never felt this nervous. I've never yelled this much, and I'm just, I'm just really happy. We were, like, biting our nails the entire game, and then that last, like, five minutes was just insane. It was such an incredible win. And to Grace Walker, Paige Pate, and Reggie Hicks, congratulations, your dogs won. We'll have more on the dogs later in the program. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at CF. GreaterAtlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at Richmond.edu. That's R I C H M O N T.edu. And Closer Look continues now from on 90.1 WABE and Lana Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott, if you don't know that. The Georgia General Assembly's 2022 legislative session started this week, although lawmakers adjourned very early yesterday to go cheer on the Georgia Bulldogs. They'll resume Wednesday. Meanwhile, the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute will analyze policies and proposed budgets that Georgia lawmakers will be debating, as well as they will also release their top priorities in an effort to advocate for special policies and legislation. Well, join me now to talk more about this and their first policies, first policy priorities is Danny Canso. He's a senior policy analyst for the budget and uh, tax and the governor relations coordinator for the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. And I believe he's also a proud alumni of UGA. Congratulations, Danny. Let's get that out the way. Well, it is great to be a Georgia Bulldog. Thank you, Rose. It's wonderful to be with you this afternoon. All right, show's over. (laughs) (laughs) Go celebrate. Listen, Danny, before we get into this legislative session, let's take our listeners through how you all identify and prioritize what issues you are going to focus on in putting together your annual sort of your watch things to watch for list and what you're going to advocate for. Absolutely, Rose. Well, well, thank you for having me. And, and, and first of all, absolutely. It is, we're going into a fundamentally important year where we're still uh, on the heels of the COVID recession. Uh, Georgians across our state are, are trying to recover, uh, trying to get their lives in order and, and, and take care of their families. And so we, we are very much aware of, of the ongoing challenges of the pandemic. Uh, but at the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, our priority is uh, to look at policy issues and, and the state budget sh- to ensure that we live in a state where all families can thrive uh, and succeed. Uh, and, and that includes looking at things uh, through a racial and equ- ethnic equity lens, uh, but also looking at what's viable, uh, looking at issues that have been deba- debated in the General Assembly, uh, and then looking across our core issues of healthcare, education, uh, tax and budget policy, economic mobility uh, and, and, and so forth, uh, and immigration, uh, and, and, and then uh, evaluating those issues that really rise to the top where we think there's an opportunity to make a difference for Georgians and families. And you all are really looking at a lot of tax reform proposals. And when I was looking through this, and this is, and in all the years that I think I've covered this, I mean, you all really, you seem to have at least maybe almost 10, maybe eight to 10 tax reform proposals that you all hope that the the Georgia General Assembly will tackle. I want to first start with this passing a state level earned income tax credit. You call it the Georgia Work Credit. Take our listeners through that. That's right. Well, folks have seen with the federal response to the pandemic uh, and and lifting up the earned income tax credit, which exists federally, uh, it has since the mid-1970s. In Georgia, it helps over three and a half million folks across our state more than one and a half million uh, children 
uh, folks who are on the brink of poverty and, and, and who are trying to work their way into the middle class. And then the child tax credit we've also seen at the federal level uh, strengthened tremendously and, and made monthly. Uh, so through those reforms, uh, we have seen just how powerful tax policy can be in putting more money in the pockets of those who need it and helping to increase economic mobility uh, for families who are struggling. But Danny, not so all- the earned. Yep. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, so the earned income tax credit is a very targeted version of mm-hmm. that. So it focuses on uh, families making up to about sixty thousand dollars a year, and in particular, uh, families with children. So in Georgia, that's three and a half million people and one and a half million children. And not all states have the version of this earned income tax credit. Is there a state that you all are looking to that you think would be a perfect model here in Georgia? That's right. That, that's, that's why we should adopt it. Well, 30 states across the country uh, do have a state level earned income tax credit. Uh, and, and so that ranges from South Carolina to California. Uh, But the model is the federal tax credit, Mm -hmm. and and that's what makes it so easy to implement. So uh, at the state level, uh, essentially, it's just a percentage of the federal credit because, of course, state taxes are are, are much lower than uh, federal taxes Mm and the total revenue that's raised. Uh, So, for example, if if we made that at 10 percent of the federal credit, it would be worth up to about five hundred dollars. Uh, for average families across Georgia uh, who who would qualify. You all focused also on saying that this would greatly benefit perhaps uh, folks, taxpayers in in the rural part of the state. Is that correct? That's right. In some counties, it's as many as one in two families Mm -hmm. that would qualify, in fact, across rural Georgia. And and that's where we see these uh, very high rates of poverty, uh, and, and also, I think it's important to connect the dots between those tax credits and things like health care and education and the viability of local economies. Uh, and, and so what, what this does is it, it puts more money in the pockets of those who need it mm-hmm. by, by working through uh, that, that framework that's been perfected at the federal level and, and which is continuing to be improved. Uh, there were some changes made in February under the American Rescue Plan uh, to, to add uh, more folks who could qualify, but it really targets those uh, who who are earning about ten thousand dollars to sixty thousand dollars to help people get on their feet and and be able to uh, pay those core expenses and 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 work their way up. Have you uh, all, and that's why, yeah. No, I, I'm curious. Have you all been able, even with this this earned income tax credit proposal, have you all been able to, I guess, get a gauge of the temperature in terms of the General Assembly? If you can get lawmakers, especially on both sides here. To that, that are would be willing to take this up. Absolutely, it has to be bipartisan, and and we've seen strong bipartisan support right now uh, for legislation sponsored by Representative Houston Gaines, uh, Republican out of Athens, House Bill Five Ten, uh, that that has several. Republican committee chairs from Sharon Cooper, who chairs the health committee, mm-hmm. uh, to, to Ron Stevens with economic development. Uh, so, so folks across the aisle have seen uh, that this is a powerful tool. And, and, and what makes this particularly relevant this session is that the state's finances have reversed. Uh, in, in contrast to last year where uh, deep budget cuts were, were implemented, now we have a budget surplus. Uh, and, and we've already seen the governor hint at uh, priorities to increase funding for things like salaries for state employees uh, and, and, and teachers across Georgia. So uh, we're going into a year where there are resources to make this possible. Uh, and, and it's important to extend uh, this relief to those Georgians to help power the economic recovery. And, and in corners uh, across our state, uh, like those rural counties mm-hmm. where uh, we see child poverty rates in, in the 40s, uh, 50 percent sometimes. It, it's really important uh, to, to give those families a hand. Uh, and, and these tax credits are targeted to do that. Uh, and that's why you know, they're, they're actually relatively affordable compared to something uh, like, like a cut to the income tax rate that would just reduce revenue across the board. Well, uh, so those targeted measures are important. Well, speaking of targeted taxes, this is the next segment we're about to talk about because I've covered this for years and it is does not have bipartisan support. And once again, you all have said we and not just you all, other advocates have said we need to raise the tobacco tax to the national average. For many years now, Georgia has really either had been the lowest or among the two or three states with the lowest 
tobacco tax. You also are hoping for the taxing, which you all say vaping and smokeless tobacco at 40% of the wholesale price. That's a hard sell every year. Danny, how optimistic are you all that this will even get introduced? Well, we're, we're 49th out of 50, and there already is legislation. Believe it or not, there's, there's legislation from both Republicans and Democrats to do just this, to go to the national average, because it's a public health issue as well. And, and it's, it, it's an equity issue in many ways, where because of the healthcare infrastructure that, that's been decimated in, in many parts of our state, uh, when you develop things like hypertension, uh, lung problems, blood pressure, all of the negative consequences of smoking, which, which there are many, uh, that create helps to feed into these enormous health inequities that we see as well. And so part of the power uh, of a, a reasonable increase in the tobacco tax is to help curb smoking among, among youth. Uh, and, and that's why we also advocate parity when it comes to things like vaping products, because when we go out of our way to make these products more accessible, rather than even raising enough revenue to pay for the health effects, it, it makes it, we're, we're effectively subsidizing it, making tobacco and vaping cheaper. Uh, and, and, and we should stop doing that. But as you know, too, you will hear from more consumers in terms of folks saying, well, listen, this really help. This really hurts some of the convenience stores, some of the the, the local gas station owners, because obviously t- tobacco tax is. I mean, that's a big selling tobacco products is a big part of their revenue. Some will say then you are you are hurting the convenience stores. And when we talked about rural areas, some will say, well, then folks will start going to neighboring states to buy their tobacco products, and then that hurts Georgia's economy. What's your reaction? Your response to that? Well, right now we're lower than than all of our neighboring states, uh, and and Florida, in fact, is is about a dollar thirty. We're at thirty seven cents for a pack of cigarettes mm-hmm. right now, forty ninth out of fifty. And and so where we are is untenable. One one ninety one would be the national average. That that would just put us in the middle. Uh, and and so that's what we advocate going to. And and you know we don't advocate this in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. So. When you implement things like the earned income tax credit as well, you put more money in, in, in the pockets of folks. You know, research shows that they're most likely to spend that money in their local economy. That's going to help those convenience stores. Uh, you know, that, that right now, a lot of these folks can't afford to put gas in their car, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to get to work uh, or don't have a car uh, and, and, and need transportation. Uh, and, and so we, we need to do a combination of things, but cheap tobacco really is not uh, the, the best policy that we can adopt as a state. That, that is not helping the most Georgians. Uh, and, and it's making it more accessible, uh, you know, w- which causes uh, higher smoking rates than we would have otherwise. And so not only are we kind of feeding into these problems that we have right now in, in our weak health care infrastructure, but we're also not doing everything that we can uh, to set up our youth to be successful tomorrow. You also you all also have something that you are calling Restructure Georgia's Cash Assistance Program. And obviously, and this is TANF. You see problems here in the state in terms of there are what you all label as a need to eliminate, and I'm quoting you here, racist barriers that prevent families in deep poverty from accessing and keeping cash aid. Take that further for our listeners. That's right. And, and when it comes to uh, TANF, the, the, this cash assistance program that was reformed in the mid-1990s with what are undeniably racist barriers uh, that unnecessarily weaken the program and, 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 and weaken the benefit structure so that families can't qualify if they have even modest assets. Uh, well, give and, give and an so example there, Danny. Right. So, so, so if you have assets worth, you know, if you own a car, for example, mm-hmm. or if you want to buy a home and your assets are worth more than, than a few thousand dollars, you can no longer qualify for this program. And, and, and furthermore, we, we receive a certain amount of dollars uh, from the federal government un- under a, a block grant, essentially, uh, that, that the state then uh, can can direct how it wishes to allocate these funds, and and we're all you know we are not using those funds uh, to to the limit that, that that we have. We're keeping that benefit unnecessarily low, and and the result is now that only a few thousand families across Georgia qualify for this program. But still, those are families who need it the most, mm-hmm. and 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 all these barriers do uh, is harm Georgians, harm our state as a whole. Uh, so. 
you know, that there's legislation in the General Assembly right now uh, that, that, that would reform this program, that would increase uh, the amount of assistance that you qualify for, uh, and that would also remove some of these asset caps and, and, and other barriers uh, that, that really have the effect of discriminating against low income uh, black and brown Georgians across our state. And Danny, something else that we talk about every year as the legislation, the legislature gets underway, we always talk about what, how, what's the likelihood of fully expanding Medicaid. You know that, <laughs> you know all the optics surrounding this, but again, you all are saying this has to be done. Listen, talk about bipartisan, you're not going to have it here. Well, we are one of 12 right now across the nation that has not acted yet to expand Medicaid. And so that puts over half a million Georgians in jeopardy who right now really don't have a way to access health care. Uh, these are folks who can't get health care through their employer, who in most cases are making too little money to qualify for a subsidy on the exchange. We've heard that issue. Senator Warnock and you know has advocated fixing that at the federal level, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been fixed yet. So they can't get a, a subsidy to buy insurance through uh, the Affordable Care Act website because they make too little money. And the state is uh, setting up this barrier to keep them for qualifying for Medicaid, which would be their only option uh, to get access to health care Bi- uh, that they would be able to afford. Of course, the, the Biden administration did not approve uh, Governor Kemp's, I guess, attempt, uh, what he calls it. This is as good as expansion. Uh, but that is not going to be approved in terms of the work requirements that were going to be levied here. That was not approved. How do you see this playing out, though, realistically, though, Danny, in, in this year? Well, we are leaving billions of dollars on the table every year, and we're, we're still in a pandemic. You know, you go across Georgia, you look at uh, ICU rooms uh, across our state. They're full in many cases. Hospitals are still being pushed to the brink, and, and they don't have the resources uh, you know, to, to keep their doors open in many cases uh, in rural communities across our state. So so this is a lifeline. It, it's essential. It's something that is not going away. Uh, we're hopeful that, that the politics can come out of this issue. Uh, obviously, the administration is, is not going to approve that that waiver that, that, that you mentioned because mm-hmm. it has work requirements uh, that, that are not just work requirements, but that are a complex, burdensome uh, requirement that would keep most people from qualifying for insurance who it's intended to help. So, so it, it, if we just expand the program, it, it's a modest cost to the state to insure half a million Georgians and to inject billions of dollars into our healthcare system that is badly needed to, to try to recover from this pandemic. Uh, otherwise, there, there are other things that we can do to improve our healthcare system. Mm-hmm. You know, behavioral health is an issue uh, that, that has to be addressed in this session. We are at the very bottom nationally in access to mental health. Over a million Georgians, uh, at least according to conservative estimates, are struggling with mental health issues. Uh, and, and, and that is another uh, area that, that, you know, we're hopeful uh, that there will be legislation, uh, but certainly uh, expanding Medicaid is, is something that, that we have to do. And we should know we should learn more when Governor Brian Kemp gives his state of the state address later this week. Before we end our conversation, Danny, there's so much we could get to. I don't have enough time, but I want to talk about this people powered prosperity campaign. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what is it? Well, <laughs> well, people-powered <laughs> prosperity uh, it, it is essentially our our policy priorities uh, and 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 a roadmap across taxes, education, healthcare, uh, immigration for for how we can get to a, a stronger Georgia and a place where all families are able to thrive uh, and succeed. And so, many of the things that we've talked about today are part of that people-powered prosperity vision. Uh, but essentially, you know, a, as uh, an organization that, that both uh, includes research and advocacy components, where we're studying these policies, but we're also working with lawmakers and other advocates on the ground to try to move the needle, uh, we think it's important to put that proactive agenda together so that Georgians can see and access these policies and, and take those solutions into their own hands, bring them to their lawmakers, uh, and, and be able to kind of democratize the process of policymaking uh, so that we can improve the quality of life across our state. And so many conversations we just couldn't get to. Danny Canso, he's a senior policy analyst for, for budget and tax with the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, as well as the governor relations coordinator. Danny, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. 
Good conversation. We'll have a link from our website to you all's with more information. Thank you so much. Thank you, Russ. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE right here in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. First responders can get workers' compensation for their physical injuries. We know that. But what about for their mental stress that comes with the job? Well, a Georgia lawmaker wants to make sure law enforcement officers, firefighters, and emergency health workers who have been diagnosed with PTS with post-traumatic stress disorder can receive benefits from their employer. Representative Greg Kennard has pre-filed a bill he hopes will make that happen. He's a Democrat representing District 102, which covers parts of Gwinnett County, and he joins me now. Representative Kennard, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Rose, happy to be here with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Before we get into your bill, we know it's been such a rough almost two years now for so many of our first responders, although their daily jobs are already for some can be very dangerous and stress related. We know that, especially with health workers regarding this late with the pandemic, of course, law enforcement. How have all how has all of this played into you bringing this bill into the legislature this year? Well, I think as most people are aware, whatever mental health issues have been out there, the, the volume's just been raised up because of the pandemic. Uh, even the most um, stable of minds and people, emotionally stable, have been feeling the stress and the anxiety of a pandemic. But then when you bake that into the experience, the daily experience of first responders who are under undue stress because they're in life-threatening situations, you know, mm-hmm. it's just cranked and ratcheted it, it all up. And you've had conversations with some of these first responders, haven't you? Oh, yeah. They've been calling me saying we need to do something about this legislatively. It's a problem. And uh, it was an eye-opener for me. I was contacted by Ashley Wilson of the Gwinnett County uh, Police Department, and she's the one that brought this to my attention. And uh, she was the one that let me know that there's more law enforcement officers. There's a higher chance that a law enforcement officer will die by suicide than in the line of duty. So that's a glaring statistic in reality right there. Did you hear some personal stories or did someone relay personal stories to you? Oh, uh, they started coming out of the woodwork. Um, just And even family members who, who lost their loved one who was in law enforcement due to suicide contacted me. And, uh, you know, years later, they're still dealing with the, the loss and, and, and the grief. And then just how there's been a lack of a, cult, a culture of support around this issue within even the first responders community. I mm-hmm. learned of one firefighter who brought to their uh, to their supervisor, hey, I'm struggling here, I need some help. Uh, well, they got some help, but then they lost their job soon after saying they didn't think they were fit anymore to do the job. So there, there hasn't been a culture to date to even lend itself for the conversation to even happen, happen among the, even the community. Mm. Let's talk about this measure then. Uh, what exactly would it do, Representative? Well, it would make a psychological injury, a standalone psychological injury, eligible for a workman's comp claim. Right now, the, as the law sits, uh, if you experience a PTSD or other form of psychological injury along with physical injury, then that is a claim. But if it's a standalone, if there's no physical injury, then that is not eligible. Would this bill create a defined, I guess, pathway or process for really determining that it is post-traumatic stress disorder? And are you specifically using that condition? Uh, That's certainly the one that's getting the highlight, but there are other forms of psychological injury. (laughs) But yes, it's, it's measurable. I mean, there are mental health professionals that do this for a living who can quantify and qualify this type of injury. So, um, you know, one thing that we need to have a shift in our conversation and understanding is that mental health is health. Mm-hmm. Your brain is an organ, just like your heart, just like your kidney, and it, it can re- be injured. And so we've put them in two buckets, you know, as a society, we've said, well, there's physical health and there's mental health, but they're really uh, one and the same. And we need to understand that there needs to be parity between the two, that we don't treat physical injury like this and we treat mental health injury in another way. It's one and the same. So this bill would require all employers to provide the resource for that or just simply pay for it, the coverage of it? 
I want to be very clear. Be treated as a workman's comp claim. Mm -hmm. So it would have to meet the same threshold, go through the same process. So it's not automatic. It goes through scrutiny to make sure mm -hmm. that these are connected issues. So it, it would be no more or less have to meet the same threshold or criteria as any other claim. How much support do you have from the other side of the aisle with this? Oh, it's a bipartisan support. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've, I've, I'll have three on the bill. There's traditionally six signatures when you drop the bill. And I'll have 50-50 Democrats and Republicans signing on this bill. Representative, do you know if there are other states that have legislation like this on the books? There are. Um, there's more than a dozen states that do. And there's other uh, states that are kind of at ground zero. It's it's being developed, uh, bills are being dropped, and it's working through the process. So it is happening. As you know, with workman's comp, compensation, um, and full disclosure, I've had to deal with that. Uh, it, it can be very, <laughs> it, it can be hard to navigate <laughs> through all of that. Um, can you understand you might get some pushback from some companies saying, well, listen, you know, you want to sort of change the, the process here, and, and there's something that might not, that, that expense-wise could be, for some companies, it could be a real burden. Well, let me first of all say this is exclusively narrowed down to first responders sure. who work in the public space. So private companies that have first responder um, workers, this is talking about public servants. In the, So it's not across the board. Okay. So it's a very specific group of folks that we're talking about. We're talking about law enforcement, firefighters, paramedics, and people in that line of work. Dude. So there, there already is some pushback, um, you know, yeah. there, because the folks who employ these individuals are usually our municipalities mm -hmm. and our counties. So I've already heard from the Georgia Municipal Association. Mm -hmm. they're, they're wanting to look at, they have some concerns, of course, and there'll be the insurance companies that will also have some concerns. Uh, so, it, you know, it's going to be a process, but, you know, of course, from the law enforcement <laughs> And from firefighters and paramedics and their family members, it's it's uh, you know they're they're ready to back it and ready to do what they need to do to make some noise about it this session. But you know it's it has to be very deliberate. We'll have to ponder all the consequences. I do have our house budget office that's creating a fiscal note so that we can kind of understand the, what the economic impact would be. Is it possible that this bill might be altered or changed by the time it even gets to the floor for a vote? Uh, of course, yeah. I, I don't. I think I'm aware of any bill that hasn't been amended along mm -hmm. the process before it got to. Uh, it's usually amended several times while yeah. in the committee. While in the committee, so. And so you're willing to? Are there some changes that you are willing to to add or take out of? And if so, what are they? Of course, I'm not ready to speak on what we'd be willing to compromise, but certainly, um, and and usually anything that happens legislatively in the state or in the federal government, it's an incremental process. You may not get everything you ask for, but if we move the ball forward, if we move the needle, and then in, there's, in future sessions, we can push it even further along. But, you know, we're, we're just the ones who see some movement. Earlier, you told me about the personal stories that you yourself have heard. I imagine that in committee meetings, you, we might see some of the folks or relatives or some first responders coming down to the Capitol, telling their stories. Of course. Uh, uh, Bill Workheiser, who is the chair of industry and labor, he has been very gracious to go ahead and give me a full committee hearing on the bill. And so we'll have a full hour and we'll be lining up uh, voices from all of the first responders. We'll hear from firefighters, police officers, paramedics. We'll also hear from mental health professionals. And uh, we'll hear, hear from some of their loved ones as well. Uh, before I let you go, I know there have been some other bills that you've introduced this session. I know you want to tackle education and, and criminal justice reform as well. Well, to be honest with you, Rose, um, mental health reform is criminal justice reform because right now the largest mental health service provider in our state is Georgia State Prisons. You know, most of the people locked up, uh, there's a mental health diagnosis, mm -hmm. which led some uh probably some addiction and getting involved in drugs. Most people who abuse drugs and alcohol, there's a mental health diagnosis that's going untreated and they're basically self-medicating, which leads to addiction. So all of these things are, so we spend a lot of money on mental health already, but unfortunately it's in the Department of Corrections. So we want to say, let's take from a corrections budget and let's move it to the front Well, you end. say unfortunately, but 
should should folks incarcerated not receive? Isn't that part of rehabilitation also? Should they not also receive? They, they should receive it, but on the front end, so they're not getting locked up on the back end. If we had better mental health access in Georgia, we wouldn't have as many people being locked up as a result. This is a this is a consequence of not being sound in our mental health policies. Georgia's dead last in the nation. That in is true. We, we have we have talked about that on this show. So yeah. what? So then I, it sounds like there are other measures too that you could introduce or that you would support that would overall strengthen Georgia's mental health resources. For the entire state, for everyone. Sure. Are we seeing some measures like that? Do you know? Yeah, there's a big uh, omnibus bill that's coming uh, to us that I'm excited about. And it looks like the planets are aligning that in 2022, we've heard that the speaker has signaled he wants to do something on mental health. The governor has as well. There's going to be a bicameral, bipartisan support of, and I think we're going to get something past this session that will be meaningful uh, for mental and behavioral health. Um, there has been a mental health caucus formed. Mm-hmm. I, along with three other individuals, legislators, are um, we're chairing this mental health caucus, which is both Senate and House. There's It's Republican and Democrat. And so there, there seems to be some intentionality to get something done. Yeah, we have a, a planned program coming up here this month dealing with mental health. So we make sure that we can get you back on for that. Georgia House Representative Greg Kennard representing District 102. Thank you so much for talking about House Bill 855. We'll obviously keep an eye on that and we'll bring you back. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Every time we play that, it means somebody's won a championship. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. That is the Dead Pool by Guitar Gabby and the Tulips. Well, the wait is over. I don't like this spot at all. It's third and one. They're going to throw for it. Bowers has got it. He's got a blocker. Touchdown, Georgia. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield, underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone. And Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. The pick six to seal it. And one more play for the Georgia defense. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. (laughs) Chris Fowler there from ESPN. Demons be gone. Let's talk about how the Georgia Bulldogs are national champions. Brian Jones predicted a win on the program yesterday for the Bulldogs. He covers sports and entertainment. He's a smiling Brian Jones for popculture.com. Welcome back, Brian. Uh, Great to be back. Thank you so much for having me. You called it, fella. You called it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, It in the first half, it was uh, very competitive. You just saw how evenly matched these teams were, but uh, Georgia was able to take advantage of uh, some mistakes Alabama made in the second half, and Alabama uh, dealt with some injuries that they suffered during oh, the game. Yeah. Really, during the, yeah, during the entire season. But, Their receiving uh, core was woo, banged up. But yeah, yeah. Let, let's be clear. Let's be fair. Because if you, if someone said, "Hey, Brian and Rose, guess what? In that first half." Alabama's going to get inside the red zone. For those that know nothing I'm talking about, that means they can score a touchdown and only get field goals. We'd be like, what? No, come on. Talk about that (laughs) defense, man. Georgia, the defense came strong. They've been strong all year, and they had that tough game against Alabama in the SEC title game. But other than that, they've been like – historically dominant um before or even going into the end of the regular season they were averaging or allowing only like seven points per game um you know as i mentioned yesterday they have just outstanding players on the defensive line and linebackers and the secondary it was really the secondary that came up big mm-hmm. in the game uh last night with lewis scene and keely ringo uh, but yeah i mean defensively they've been strong all year and they've been a big They've been the reason uh, why George has brought home his first national championship in 41 years. Let's talk about that first half a little bit more because it, it's with first Stetson Bennett. It, it looked like uh, talk about rhythm. He, he couldn't really find it uh, in that first half, but second half 
what do you make of that? Was it just? I mean, he t- he gave credit to the defense, which obviously played a, an outstanding game, but he didn't seem to to get too rattled and hung in there. Yeah, I just think it was all about settling in. I think at first, um, you know, there's probably nerves kicking in in the in the first half, but as um, as the game went on, he was able to play his type of football and he ended the game with a little over 220 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, it was way more efficient than the last two matchups he had against Alabama, where he had five interceptions in those previous two games combined. And I think just a lot of it had to do with running the football as well. I think um, he learned from the mistakes that he made in those previous two games um, in terms of uh, not making the right decision Mm -hmm. if the play isn't there throw it away or just run with it and I think he did a great job of that and then being able to run the football uh, with James Cook and Zamir White I think that really really helped Stetson Bennett be more efficient um, in this game than he was in the previous two uh, games against Alabama and you know Stetson's such a great story you know yeah coming from a walk-on to being a national champion. And I, I saw this stat earlier today. Uh, Cesar Minna is the first quarterback since Brian Greasy of Michigan in 1997 to beat a Nick Saban coach team as a walk-on mm-hmm. a quarterback. So uh, it's really just an amazing story. And, uh, and uh, he's going to go down as a Georgia legend. You know, here's the thing. And, and we, we hope that Stetson has a great, great future doing whatever but if Stetson just decided to chill for the rest of his life, <laughs> he goes down as the guy, the, the quarterback, the, the leader of the team that brought a national championship back to Athens with a 40-year drought in between. That, that <laughs> I don't know if anybody matches that, man. That's incredible. Incredible story yeah, for that young man. It really is. The thing is, George has had some great quarterbacks over the years. Uh, since Buck Ballou won it, who was a quarterback for Georgia in 1980, won the national championship. You talk about guys like Eric Zier, mm-hmm. David Green, uh, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Murray, uh, Jake Fromm recently, and the, and the guys they have on the roster now. Um, you talk about JT Daniels, mm-hmm. you know, Brock Mandegreff, uh, Carson Beck. Those are highly recruited guys, and Stetson Bennett has been able uh, to outplay him. I, I think his worth ethic, his dedication to Georgia, that's something that players – um, when they talk about sets and that's what stands out with them. Uh, his parents are Georgia grads, so he bleeds red and black. And the fact that he's able to win a national championship uh, for a school, for a team that he loved growing up and going to many games as a kid, I think it's really special. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen. He's not sure what's going to happen mm-hmm. in terms of what he's going to do next year. But I think he's going to really enjoy this moment. Well, you talk about this senior class, for those that are seniors, this senior class we heard earlier uh, in the program, some of the sen- some of the kids who could have, as juniors, entered the NFL draft and decide they would come back. These are the kids, these are the players who were freshmen in 2017 when they had that horrific loss. Uh, but for this, this senior class especially, this is a moment that they have been waiting for, for those that decided to come back for their senior year. It really is. And they've had some great moments uh, during their careers in their four years at Georgia. They've you know, won an SEC championship. They've won their share of bowl games, uh, rivalries. But this is the national championship is what they play for, what they train for during the summers. Uh, this is something that they play for the past players who haven't got, who never had the opportunity to play for a national championship. Mm-hmm. So they knew what was at stake and they knew um this was a great opportunity for them to bring home a national title. And, you know, I, I give credit to the senior class. They've been really successful. Um, they're part of a team, not just winning a national championship, but they go down as one of the few programs in college football history that have won 14 games. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it really is a great accomplishment. Um, this class is going to go down as one of the all-time greats. And I think once they get down, once they reunite 10, 15, 20 years down the road, um, they're they're going to have a lot of stories to share. Oh, they have a lot of fun stories. Listen, let's talk about the coaches for a moment because Nick Saban, we know he loves to win because he wins. Yeah. But you got to wonder. I know he he feels great for Kirby Smart. He just he just he has to feel great for him. Whether he'll he say it or not is one thing, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but based on uh, what he said and you know how he how he said everything last night. I think he was really proud of 
of Kirby and what he's done at Georgia. And, you know, Nick Saban knew that um, Alabama was dealing with their share of challenges uh, throughout the entire year. And I think he was proud that they were able to get to the national championship and win the SEC and beat and beat Georgia, be the only team to beat Georgia. So, um, yeah, he wants to win. He's very competitive. He's all about winning national championships. But at the same time, um, if a team had to beat him for a national championship, Mm -hmm. it had to be one of his assistants. So, and Kirby has been with Nick Saban, LSU, Mm -hmm. Miami Dolphins and Mm -hmm. Alabama. And now that Kirby's with Georgia, I think um, Nick Saban is really proud of what Kirby has done in Athens. This championship win, does it also mean maybe we go back and if you're UGA and look at Kirby's contract and say, hmm, now what can we do here to uh, make sure we got you for a few more years? Oh, absolutely. It's the same thing as Nick Saban. Uh, You know, when he was winning national championships in the early stages of his career at Alabama, you just kept signing contract over contract. And, you know, I think that's going to be the same thing uh, with Kirby Smart, because the, the thing is, and even if they were to lose on Monday or uh, last night, uh, Kirby is still one of the top coaches in the country. And his ability to recruit, his ability to develop players, and he's put together such a strong resume, uh, you know, winning the SEC uh, back in 2017, mm-hmm. winning the Orange Bowl, winning a Sugar Bowl, winning a Peach Bowl, um, having multiple 10 win seasons. All he was missing is that national championship, and he's got that. So he's now considered one of the elite coaches. When you talk about Nick Saban, when you talk about Dabo Sweeney, Mm -hmm. he's in that class now. So, um, yeah, he's going to get a major contract extension. He's going to be head coach of the University of Georgia for as long as he wants because he graduated there, he played there, played there at a high level. So I don't see him going anywhere so else. So you're saying he has now entered the Vince Dooley tier of I can stay here as long as I want. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, obviously with Vince, uh, he was able uh, to have Georgia be one of those power teams in the 70s and 80s. And and that's what Kirby has done. Um, you know, when he took over from Mark Reg, you know, the Georgia was a strong program but they weren't at a national championship level. Now that Kirby has got this team to two national championship appearances well, and winning one of them, uh, he's now at that level. So, um, yeah, Kirby, he's all about Georgia. He's from, He played high school and in Bainbridge. Uh, he, he obviously, as I mentioned, he played at Georgia. So he is a Georgia lifer. So I don't see him going anywhere. I love the story that uh, Kirby Smart says that uh, it was a sign from, as he put it, a sign from God because he saw Vince Dooley. He got off uh, the elevator in the hotel and saw Vince Dooley sitting on a bench in the hallway and and, uh, reportedly said, God put him there. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad company to see a Vince Dooley with uh, Kirby Smart. Okay, let's talk about next year. Who's winning? Georgia going to (laughs) repeat? (laughs) <laughs> it looks like it. They have they have the tools to repeat. That's Do they? Alabama. Come on I, now, Brian. I know you in the moment, but they, they have <laughs> they have the tools to repeat. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, as I mentioned, Kirby's so great at recruiting. It's not all about. It's not really about rebuilding. It's reloading. And mm-hmm. you know, they have. You know, even though they'll probably lose guys like Zamir White, James Cook, they'll probably move on to the NFL. And even like Nolan Smith, the Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis is going to graduate. Um, they have they have guys that have, have playing experience that weren't starters that could come in and play right away. I, I don't know if the defense will be as strong mm-hmm. as what they were uh, this this season because it was on a historic level. But as long as they and they're going to lose Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. he's going to be going to he's going to be the head coach at Oregon. And oddly enough, Georgia's going to play Oregon in the first game of the 2022 season. So, but I, I do think that. Georgia has enough talent uh, to where they're going to compete for a national championship. And also with the SEC East not being very strong, uh, Tennessee and Florida could make some improvements, but they still have some issues to deal with. I think Georgia is going to be right there again uh, in the SEC championship game and competing for a national championship. So um, there's some holes that Kirby has to fill and he's going to go to work right away because he loves recruiting. But I do think Georgia will be in a position to compete for a national championship in 2022. What about at the quarterback situation here? I see that's the interesting thing. Mm -hmm. If Stetson comes back, um, 
he's probably going to be the starter, but you have Gunnar Stockton coming in mm-hmm. and then you have Brock Vandegrift and Carson Beck coming back as well. There might be a transfer, it, but and again, it all depends on what Sesson Bennett wants to do. If he does transfer, I could see Brock Vandegrift uh, taking over that role. Uh, I think I was able to see some of his games at Prince Avenue Christian in Athens. Um, and he seems like he has the tools to be, you know, that next league quarterback. So uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. So uh, we'll probably find out what happens with Stetson here uh, sometime later this week. Um, if he stays, then um, he'll have one more uh, a chance to run it back. Mm-hmm. If not, then it's going to be an interesting competition at quarterback. What does this say also in terms of we, we've been hearing this about, okay, is there equity, you know, within college football? Well, the answer is no. We all know that. I mean, the big <laughs> programs are big programs. They have the money and they have the facilities and they tend to get the top recruits. Now, Deion Sanders over there at Jackson State is shaking things up a little bit. But what does this say about also just having a different team, even if it is from the SEC, win the national championship? And it's Georgia. I think there are several factors that play into it. And, you know, there are fans who, you know, before Georgia won the national championship, they wanted to see new blood. They wanted to see different teams, you know, take over, not the typical Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State. Um, and I think college football with Georgia winning and even with Cincinnati entering uh, the college football playoff, it goes to show you that college football is changing. It's gradually changing to where, these recruits, they're going to go to the top schools, but some good players who aren't highly recruited are going to go to these um, these solid programs. And if you get the right coaches, um, like you've seen uh, previously, then these teams have a chance to play in the college football playoff. Now, one of the interesting things is there's a possible, there's a chance of expansion. They didn't make a decision on it right now so as of now it's going to be 14 still but mm-hmm. once the college football um you know college football expands then that's going to make things really interesting because you're going to see a lot of teams that um, haven't got a chance to play in the college football playoff have a chance to be in a national championship so that's going to be interesting to see all right brian jones thank you so much for coming back i really appreciate it good conversation and that is it for this edition of closer look you can catch a rebroadcast tonight at 7 p.m. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE. And that is Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.